Why don't you go do exactly what you want to do and sell your paintings? And I hadn't even thought of that. It was more of like a hope and a wish. Like I hope to sell my paintings. I hope someone else will help me sell my paintings. Like a gallery or a dealer or a friend will know an opportunity or introduce me to something or spread the word. I guess I was just in a mindset of I could only make the art and I could do some things to try to sell it, but I was so limited in what I believed was possible, what I thought I could do, what I thought could be done with art, like as a career or as a life, or even as enough money to create the time to make it. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss, show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. Hello, hello everyone. I hope you are all snuggled up and ready for this holiday season. Well, I don't know about you, but that's how I'm doing the holidays this year. Just keeping it low key and easy. I'm definitely bummed that we can't travel and see family because we usually go see my big family down in Virginia. We usually have like 30 something people. I help my abuela make empanadas. We play games. My uncle Carlos tries to get us to do karaoke. It never works, but it's still really fun. And I am really sad to miss out on that, especially because my son is almost three and he's finally at an age where he can enjoy hanging out with the other kids and I don't have to like carry him around (laughs) all the time. But hopefully we'll do that next year. So even though I'm bummed to miss that time, Steve and I are also all about the deep chill just in life. So we're kind of excited to just have lots of comfort foods and lots of warm beverages. And in honor of this time of year, I thought I would do something that I've been meaning to do for a while now, and that is have my most special guest on this podcast in the spirit of family, my partner, in business and life, my source of inspiration, my biggest supporter, often my nemesis and also biggest obstacle, (laughs) and obviously my all-around just favorite person, Steve Wasterval. So in this episode, we're going to talk about some origin stories, and then we're going to see how it goes. We share some intimate details about how we met and how we started collaborating right away, really. And I asked Steve about his experiences over the years going from an artist who went to art school and was raised to kind of purposefully ignore marketing and branding, especially as it related to his art, and how he's really grown to enjoy and value these skills, these the ability to market and sell, because they help him do more of the creative work that he loves and a little bit about how he's actually on a mission to help others do the same. So buckle up, here we go. So this is a very special episode because I think that you're the person everybody wants to hear from, Steve. Do you know that? (laughs) I've been keeping you secret. Well, I know I'm a secret, but I don't know that anyone wants to hear from me. (laughs) I think people wanna know. What's going on in Steve's world? Especially because I've turned you into this mythical creature in our business. You know that you're the you're the protagonist in a lot of these stories. I mean, 
the big debt story. It's like, and then Steve showed me the way. <laughs> yeah, those stories are funny because even when I read the, and Steve said this, and it's, didn't I don't, it didn't feel like that when it happened that I solved our problem or what not is solved but you know you don't have to know that you're solving the problem to be the the spark of genius inspiration that solved it that's true I mean that's why you're the artist you're like the jester artist <laughs> <laughs> Like you're that. just you're just creating things and making things and and I'm like holding on for dear life trying to pull I'm trying to get the golden nuggets from it and and turn it into something amazing. That's true. That's probably why I feel it that way is because I probably said a lot of things in each of those stories like if you go back to what it really happened. I probably said tons of things. So it's not like I knew what to do. <laughs> that's probably why I don't feel it that way. I know the answer. I just say stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like to romantically think of myself as your muse, but I, if I'm being honest, we have to really say that we're just each other's muses. Yeah. Well, so I have been looking forward to this and have also been nervous because, I mean, this is kind of like a weird conversation, right? Like you and I talk all day every day about everything and we have so many things we have like too many things to talk about so this is going to have to be like a two three four parter if that's okay with you we'll see yeah let's see how it goes <laughs> see if it's yeah worth a or second. we might have to <laughs> see if crap it's worth out. a second or third part <laughs> well we just have so many things to talk about so let me take it back and first give a little introduction to I don't know. I'll give an introduction to part one. So part one is, I'm not even sure what I'm going to say right now. Part one <laughs> is the fairy tale romance. So, you know, I've written about this and shared this many times in the past, but basically Steve and I did definitely, we had this, we had a fairy tale type of meeting. I, I think I walked story. In, we have a, we have a very romantic story. I walked, well, kind of, it depends. Yeah, depends maybe how not. like Christian or, you or are, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, my friends, you were friends with my friend and at, at Miami ad school and she called me and my friends. We all, you know, grew up together and she said, oh, I'm hanging out with my friends from Miami ad school, a bunch of guys like you guys should come. And so we said, okay, you know, so we're like a group of girls and we walk over to this bar in the West Village and I walk in and Steve is at the bar. It's this tiny little bar. Blind Tiger still there on Bleecker Street and I walk in and I lock eyes with Steve and he's got this like big beautiful smile and these big shiny sparkling blue eyes and he just looks at me and like smiles Care Bear stare smiles and I just turned to my friend and I was like hands off he's mine <laughs> and I literally said that to Sophie and Diana and I like walked I was you know I've always been a lady who knows what she wants. And I walked right over to him and I was like, hi, I'm Pia. <laughs> Didn't I? I mean, Didn't that's I just... what I liked about you. Yeah. I took charge. So and direct. I was very direct. And and so the 10 of us like hung out all night. But Steve and I, we were just, we were just like locked in our own little world, having our own conversation. We just were completely oblivious to everybody else that's going on. And then at some point we just 
hopped in a cab and didn't even say anything. We just left. And we have basically been joined at the hip ever since. <laughs> yeah, that's really nice to remember. I mean, I, we think about that stories often, but how everybody disappeared. That's really what it felt like. Yeah. It's like they weren't even there. I know. We were sitting at the end of that table at Caliente Cab. Yeah. And we just took off. We were just, we were hiding behind my hat. <laughs> we literally we put your silly. hat up. Yeah. So we, we could just be in our own my, little room. My hat. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. We must have been so annoying to our group of friends. Because if I, if, not annoying like actually, but if I pictured my friends doing that, I'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. What the hell? I would think it was so. I don't know, being so silly. Yeah, we were totally not paying attention to them. Yeah. So that's so that was the night we met. But then the next day, I Googled you. This was like 2008. I Googled you and I found that painting. This painting that you did of Boston Your Harbor. Your painting? Yeah, you always call it my painting and that confuses me. Yeah. Now it's my painting. Yeah. So I found this painting that you did of water reflections, which is something that I like to paint too, but it was, you know, on a completely other level of whatever I was doing. It was magnificent and beautiful and like everything I ever could have wished I could have done myself. So, you know, I'm very attracted to that kind of mastery and I mean, who isn't and talent and also just happened to be in something that I liked to do and was clearly not nearly as good at. And, and I loved this painting so much. And so I was just, I mean, as if I wasn't kind of googly eyed over you when we met, then I see this painting and I'm like, Oh my God, I love it so much. He is so talented. So then I fell, I think I fell head over heels more seeing your painting. Wow. I, didn't I know. know that. I didn't know you that. You didn't know that? No. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to be attracted to that kind of, I want to say raw talent, but I guess that's what it felt like. I, I feel differently about talent now because, yeah. right, we, which we can talk about. Well, but now, that's you know how how, now you know how long that painting took to make. Yes. Well, how old were you then? <laughs> <laughs> 27 years. Yeah, whatever I was, whatever age I was. Right. So... So to me, that sealed the deal. And then I told you about it. I told you I loved that painting. And then it was like the next week. You just brought it to me on the subway. I just brought it to you, huh? You just brought it to me. And later you told me that Tim wanted to buy it. Yeah. And you couldn't, even though you were totally broke, you were like, well, you tell me. Yeah. No, I, for I forgot how that happened. I the way we are, I think I remembered it as like you asked for it and I gave it to you. But, but now that you're saying it, you're right. He, I decided to give it to you, and I remember that. And then, because I, it's so easy for me. I don't. I'm not trying to take credit away from myself, but it's like they're not precious to me, and you know that about my paintings. So yeah, but I didn't know that then because all my right, paintings were precious right, to me. Right, so now I'm like, so, I'm bringing it down a little bit. <laughs> well, at the time I was like, whoa, I would never give this to somebody if I painted this. This is so special. And you just, you know, maybe it wasn't a thing, but I do remember. No, it was special. That, it was special because of the part special. you're you saying because, yes. because someone wanted to buy it and, yeah. and I needed money. I think you had already told Tim he could buy it. And then you said, sorry, man. Yeah, you know how you, by now, you know Tim and how he likes to buy stuff. He likes it for a while and he says he's going to buy it a bunch and then he buys it once. So he was ready to get it. 
and yeah and you were so broke then too yep i had nothing <laughs> you were living in a I don't closet even on we, yep. 94th and 2nd yep and i don't even in, think in obama's old building what what yeah that's <laughs> that's dubious but i think it's true it's like 80 percent true <laughs> like there's there's where doubt, obama but... lived when he went to yeah, when he lived in the city that's what they say that's what um, they say yeah so you brought it to me it's a big painting i mean yeah it's a big painting oh i forgot oh yeah i was i think i wasn't even paying rent at the time so me and Joe, I think at that time, me and Joe might have already had stopped paying rent in that apartment because when we met, it was pretty close to me moving out, remember? Yeah. And, and then I put someone else in there. I gave him a roommate. But me and him, I hadn't paid rent. Like We weren't paying rent for a little while. So that must have been at that same time. Yeah, you guys were <laughs> living off of white rice that we, yeah. Aunt Janice sent you. Spaghetti and red sauce and not paying rent. <laughs> And someone wanted to buy that painting from me. And I, so that's the part that was special about okay. not, that I gave you one. But also giving someone a painting, because you also know me that until years ago, I didn't really think it was very special to give someone one of my paintings. Or I just didn't, I didn't get it. I couldn't feel what people, I, could, I don't feel that. Or I don't have that same excitement. I do though, I guess. If somebody does one for me and gives it to me, I would like it. But no one would because I, I'm a painter. When I met you, you were telling me how you had painted all these paintings in Miami and just left them there. And like, yeah. I think Brady has some of those, that triptych. Like yeah. he just, it was like, well, I'll take this, like these masterpieces. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah take it. Like you didn't care. And you never signed them. Yep. You weren't signing any. I was going to add that if you didn't. I was I'm, leaving them behind. And not it was fun them. for my roommates. I mean, they all, anyone who lived with me anywhere uh, ended up with some paintings. <laughs> But not signed. <laughs> so they have these paintings. So they're not worth anything. Yeah. So if I ever become somebody, they'll have to work on proving it. So you bring me this painting. And I do remember you telling me that someone offered you cash on the subway. Because you didn't wrap it or anything. You just brought it on the yeah, subway. It's huge. It as it's like is on the subway. 36 by 36. Maybe bigger. And that's such a fun memory, too, that I, I tell people and think about often is like what happened on the subway. Of... Uh, People started talking about it, not to me, about the painting. <laughs> yeah. Just two people talking to each other about it. Oh, I like that looks nice. And the other guy, no, look, it's all wobbly and the lines aren't right. And it's, you know, it's impressionist. So <laughs> it's out of focus or whatever. No, it's, that's good. It's supposed to be like that, the other guy says. And they're arguing over it. <laughs> and then this older lady chimes in, oh, I really like it. And then they started talking to me. She said, it's good. It's a very good painting. <laughs> <laughs> and they offered you money and you said, I got to give it to a girl. Yeah. I don't know if it was a real offer. They were like trying to sort of haggle or make a deal or, or see if they could get it from me. Well, later on, we thought of that as like a sales tactic. Remember, we were like, maybe mm -hmm. you should just ride the subway with a painting and like create that story for somebody. <laughs> yeah. That's when we were like willing to do stuff like that to make a sale, to like sell something for a few hundred bucks. <laughs> Oh my God, we were Ride willing to do all day anything. For $300. It would have been totally worth it. Oh, I would have loved it. I'd been happy. <laughs> uh, so that was like the first week. <laughs> 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 I mean, remember we, we like, I mean, it was so romantic. We would like paint, like we, especially because yep. we had no money. <laughs> so that's what we would do. We would just drink three buck Chuck and. <laughs> 
and set up our easels and like paint things. We and would drink I would two bottles of three dollar wine and paint cab in the, in the loft. The cab wasn't bad. Yeah, in, we were in your friend's amazing Soho yeah, so Broadway my, apartment. I'm yeah. living with my best friend and who I grew up with, who has a who grew up in a penthouse loft in Soho that they have like loft law rent control. So I'm paying part of the rent. And it's like a couple hundred bucks. Very, very lucky a situation. But it gave us a lot of space. We even that's when we decided to stretch our own canvases because I was is, like, cause we were because the sawing the wood, sawing the wood in the loft in the apartment because that's how big of an apartment it was. Yeah, we made such a mess. We would saw wood inside the living room. I can't believe that we thought that was okay. That's just the vibe I got from the loft. It had this very loft, you know. What do you mean? It was okay. No, that's, I think, what, like, Charlie started getting kind of sick of and stuff. I remember, I thought I remember that was around when we kind of, like, were wearing out our welcome a little bit. No? (laughs) Did I just make that up? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. No? No, I don't think so. Because there's sawdust everywhere. and uh, We cleaned it up. Yeah. It's like coming home and someone's like, Got a buzz saw in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were sawing by hand, and we were making yeah. these. We were making these frames by hand. We were getting those bundles of wood from the guy on Bowery because it was so much cheaper than buying the stretcher bars. The flip side is, of course, that those. I remember that that wood was Not so much good. of it was warped, and yeah. these weren't ideal. But like, but we were being so thrifty. I thought yeah. it was smart, and I do remember when I first said it. I was like, we need to stretch our own paintings. You were like, huh? No. And I, I, you weren't into it. No, I hated it. (laughs) I mean, I knew how to stretch them and it was, it's hard work. (laughs) So I don't. Yeah, but you also were poor. (laughs) You had no money. That's, uh, that's how dumb I was. Beggars can't be choosers. (laughs) Yeah. So we stretched the paintings. By the way, I still have, that's, that's what I think when we, it's like the second page in our little notebook that we still have that's got like all our notes from all the ideas we had and stuff. It's got the like notes, how to the, stretch a canvas dimensions <laughs> like, and, stuff. and dimensions. Yeah. Yep. It totally yeah. has that. That's cute. Yeah. That was cute. And in between this, I went to Argentina for a month. Remember? So what happened was I, before we even met, I bought a one-way ticket to Argentina with my friend, Zoe and we were just going to go to Argentina and like live there and I was going to tango and I was going to you know do my eat pray love adventure by myself and I didn't know what I was going to do there but it was going to be amazing and then I met you and then I still had to go on my trip because I wasn't going to I just met you like two months later I'm supposed to go on this trip I couldn't not go on the trip for a guy so even though I was totally head over heels, I was like, I got to go on this trip. Steve. Me too. It's so funny. I was in the same position. I was, I didn't want you to go, but I was like, I can't tell this woman to stay, to date me instead of going on. Yeah. Cause I felt, I feel still like you do on that where it's like, this is a dream of hers. And everything you just described sounded so cool. It still does. <laughs> that's why we tried. No, to, that's why we tried to tango when you came back. <laughs> and that did. was fun too. That was cool that was at fun. that bar where they would clear out the tables and. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Oh, back yeah. when you could go to bars and take table yep. lessons. And you could be around other people. So yeah, so I I I went and I 
I sobbed the whole way to the airport and I was so miserable. And then I got there and we got this adorable little apartment in Buenos Aires. And I did take tango lessons and everything was so romantic and beautiful. And it would have been really cool, except that I was just like counting the time between when I could go back to my room and Skype you. And basically we were just like Skyping all day. Which is so lame. Which was so lame. <laughs> I'm in New York on my computer in my box-sized bedroom. And you're in Argentina <laughs> in your tango life. I'm like, I guess I got to go take a tango lesson right now because uh, I'm here. Yeah. I'll be back in an hour. I feel like when I was Skyping, I think that's like when I knew. I mean, I, I loved you before you left, but I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> and I, of course, didn't feel obligated or anything to do it. That's why... I, it felt so funny. Yeah. It's like, look at me Skyping for two hours. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, it was so lame of us. But it was the beginning of our relationship and it was magical. And then. Right, it I wasn't was, lame. I, I was, was there, like, I think three weeks into my trip, you basically said, you know, we haven't been paying rent. We can't pay rent. We're going to get kicked out of this apartment or something. Or I'm going to have to leave because I can't afford to live in New York. Because right. you couldn't find a job. It was 2008. There were no jobs. You had just graduated. You had just finished your internship. Ad agencies weren't hiring. It was the recession. Right. And yeah, that was really... That was intense. The, lo the loft and having like a rent control apartment really made it possible to stay. Well, right. And That's our what relationship. Yeah, those are things Well, that, that was the decision because yeah. you were like going to leave and that was going to be the end of it. And I, and I told... And it was so just devastated by that idea so I told Sophie I was like I'm supposed to stay for at least six months but you know she was like come back we miss you your room's here we'll kick someone oh, else was, li had, was, was living in it I was have to leave while you were gone you were gonna that leave and that was gonna be it wow. yeah and, oh, and Vivek was living in my room or Jerome or someone was living in my room and she was like yeah, we'll kick him like, out you can come back she was like, I got your room. Don't stay there. And because oh, she's the best. She's also Look the person big, that married us. Yes, I was going <laughs> to say that. Like, I was just going to add, yeah, add that on top of all these other things that I forgot about that she basically facilitated our relationship. She did. <laughs> she did. She did. She subsidized it. <laughs> she did. And she also like encouraged it because I said, she was like, no, come back. It doesn't matter. She was like, you went. It's fine. <laughs> and so I said, all right, well, then if I come back, then, you know, she was like, Steve can live with us too. This, this place is freaking huge, this apartment. I was like, okay, we'll do that. So then I told you, I was like, all right, this is the game plan, Steve. You're not moving to Colorado or wherever you need to move because it's cheaper. I'm coming home in a week <laughs> and we're living in the loft and we're going to figure it out. And you moved in with me. So you moved in with me like yeah. three months into our relationship. I mean, that really... Yeah. That really sped it up. Yep. And then both of us, because like you said, the recession and uh, you were doing real estate, everybody, anybody listening probably knows that neither of us had money. No, I don't know what we were doing. I was just charging things. And we didn't need that much because there was the rent and then, you know, spaghetti and rent sauce <laughs> or whatever. Two, three buck Chuck. Yeah. We weren't like going out a lot or, or going to bars because we were with each no, other. We, we were anything. in love and together. So I think we were just in our own little world together and have been living very cheaply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not too long after that, right. You couldn't find a job. 
you were doing some freelance here and there, and then you said, this is the famous story. You said, oh, I'm gonna, I think I gotta go downstairs and try to get a job at H&M. We lived like down the street from H&M, Banana Republic. We lived in a mall on Broadway in Soho. And I yeah, the shopping like, area. And I was going to work at Old Navy or something. Yeah. that's my, That was kind of like been my go-to up to that point in my life of if I couldn't make any money or whatever from my art, just go walk into some store, you know, and get a, <laughs> get a job somewhere. And yeah. I guess I never thought of how lucky I am that I can do that, that I could. And of course, you know me well enough to know that once I start working in the stock room at wherever old neighbor or something, they realize, oh my God, this guy's terrible at this because, <laughs> because I'm so unorganized and I don't care. And I'm, you know, and I, and I don't show up once or twice. So I'm a horrible employee, but I, I can not understand that at all. But yeah, <laughs> well, but... I guess also because I would get these jobs I hated. And I think that was why you, not just that you said, you're not going to do that. We're going to go sell your art. I mean, that, that was like time times 10 blew my mind. But if you had even just been like, encouraged me to try to get a job I enjoyed, that would have been eye-opening for me, <laughs> which is weird to think about. It, when you said, how come you were, I remember this vividly, how come you don't get a bartender job? Or how come you've never been a bartender? You're like a chatty, fun, nice looking person. <laughs> like, why didn't you bartend? I was like, and I had honestly never thought of it. It had never occurred to me. And then that hit me hard. Like, why did I ne- why have I only ever walked into a job that I know I'm not going to enjoy? And then that pays quit. you no money. It pays me nothing. And then quit after a month. Like what, what, yeah. why? <laughs> yeah. I don't, what's that I, about? I could probably answer it now, but you know how it goes. It's, it's going to be my personal issues and stuff. It's <laughs> like, uh, I think I thought, and I think that's why it was so inspiring. And maybe this is even getting a little bit closer to entrepreneurship that, this is the effect you have, I think, on a lot of people that you uh, help and are friends with. This, like, why can't you just do what you, why can't you try to do what you want to do your way? Why don't you go do exactly what you want to do and sell your paintings? And I hadn't even thought of that. It was more of like a hope and a wish. Like, I hope to sell my paintings. I hope someone else will help me sell my paintings. I guess that person ended up being you, but like a gallery or a dealer or a friend will know an opportunity or or introduce me to something or or spread the word or whatever right Right. so i was i was i guess i was just in a mindset of i could only make the art and i could do some things to try to sell it but i i was so limited in what i believed was possible what i thought i could do what i thought could be done with art like like as a career or as a life or even as enough money to create the time to make it right so i don't Mm -hmm. mean even as a livelihood like the idea that i could make enough off of the art just enough that i could afford to make more of it to sell more of is what you you and me started doing and i had never tried to do that before like well you you sold your art a couple of times over the totally i this is not to say that i hadn't sold paintings what i mean is i had never taken a proactive when was the other time it. you had done it before then? Elise sold it. I guess Elise did it. Oh, yeah, of course. And she did it for me. In Amsterdam, my cousin, because my family's there, she was moving out of an apartment. And because of the way that the Dutch rental laws worked, because they had unknowingly been illegally subleased to them from someone, the punishment is that 
the the person who's subleased, not the leasers or the renters, has to pay for it on top of wherever else they live for like a few months. So she ended, and then she was going to live there for free for a few months. But then she found a new apartment right away, and then I ended up having my own apartment in Amsterdam. And then we turned that because they moved all their stuff out. It was just like a mattress in there, and like you know, a pot and pan. That's all I had. It was an empty apartment. You've lived like that many times. I know. No, so I was I was loving it, and but that's what made it easy to make it a like a gallery show because even though it was apartment layout, you know, a totally empty apartment. It, it, right. With all the paintings on the walls, it, it was not like it wasn't like trying to have an art show at your apartment where your couch is there and like your kitchen is there. There was no, you know, it was all gone. So that was really cool. And she was a art director, and she professionally did up all the labels with my name, and we named all the paintings. I mean, talk, not only did I not sign them, I never named them, I never anything. So she did all that stuff, and and she had so much fun with it, and it was fun for me. And then invited everyone she knew, all of her friends, and and said we're having an art show party. That's so cool. At our old apartment, and so many people came and sold every painting. Wow. Uh, but see, after that. I didn't then, oh, I can do this. It was still like you pointed out. I was very much like, wow, at least did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, it's not insignificant that she worked in advertising and marketing and that she's an art director because she's a very creative person, but it's not all about just creation. She's very interested in and likes to facilitate things and, and sell things and, and in, get people interested in things. And that's... Some of those things overlap with art, but a lot of times art is just self, you know, self-expression, and all those other things just kind of coincidentally happen afterwards if they do. And that's actually that's why then from that point I didn't go into more art after she did that, and I hung out with her in Amsterdam. She in- encouraged me, and I did it. Went into av- to an advertising school. <laughs> you could say like butterfly effect style. Elise is the reason we have this company. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh no, she's. I don't know what I was doing when I was in Amsterdam. I was just going to be an artist, and I was being an artist. And then when I saw her working there and the way she was, I didn't know anything about advertising. I thought, it, you know, I would have said I hated it because uh, it's about selling stuff, about stuff that's not my stuff, or which is diapers. ironic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> diapers or toilet paper. It's like who cares about that stuff? And I still don't care about that stuff. That's why I love what we do, which is branding, marketing, advertising for service, small service business owners, because I love the idea of helping a person or mm-hmm. a couple people sell what they do for other people. That's something that like, uh, I believe in and think more people should do it. I know you do too. But that's, I didn't think of that, that we both strongly, I knew you did, but uh, that I really love that part of marketing, branding, advertising. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Without her... I don't go to Miami. I don't meet Jenna, your friend, your child friend. I don't meet, I don't go to New York for an internship. I probably never make it to New York, even though I always wanted to, as an artist, move there or at least spend some time there. I had visited. But the idea that I would have, when you hear how I'm describing how I thought about my life and my, if you can call it a career, the idea that I would like even be able to have enough money to move there and then how long that would last with me being there doing what? Knocking on, we know now how it goes, knocking on a bunch of gallery doors and making appointments and they look at my stuff and say, thanks. And then, then you're done. You, you can't come to New York to be an you artist with no up. money. I mean, maybe <laughs> you, you could back in the like 90s or 80s before that or something. But it's like the amount of money you need now to be even in some of the like 
least developed boroughs areas like my mom even got priced out for the same reasons it's like yeah. uh well you have to have another job i mean you yeah. have to yeah and then that job won't make enough and then you know in your couple hours when you come home or before you, at night instead of sleeping that's when you're supposed to make art like the idea that like oh, i'm gonna work my <laughs> crappy job until i become big enough as an artist to quit it is good luck <laughs> you know yeah yeah, I mean, how are people supposed to become to artists. be artists? Good question, and that's why I, I'm so interested in bringing the stuff that I've learned from you and from our business and from creating and running a business to artists. That's that's what I call selling out. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, selling out. Like uh, you and me put on big shows uh, years ago called sellout shows, and they were where all the it was lots of different artists, and they were all promoting the hell out of their stuff on social media and it was very much this artist for sale and it had a very different vibe than your than your average art show well i remember so the first time we came up with the idea for hashtag sellout because that's the brand mm -hmm. this is the brand that we we birthed well i'm pretty sure we were driving up to boston we were in a long car ride and we were and this was kickstarter was at its height yeah. Right? It was like Oh, I remember this. It was not it was not overdone yet. And we saw people doing these Kickstarters and no, I just No, because you were even you were even like there's this thing Kickstarter. Like oh, people okay. are doing these things. It was like I won't say brand new, but it definitely wasn't like you couldn't tell an you couldn't tell someone uh our parents' age that word and they'd know they wouldn't know what you're talking about. Okay. About that? So there <laughs> yeah. you go. So it was still relatively unknown and I was like, there's this thing, Kickstarter. How cool is that? You're basically just pre-selling stuff. It's just another way to package things and we should do one. Let's Gosh, do one. So I that's that what so it was. Well because I so didn't know what you're talking about, but I also could see what you were saying. That was that's a cool experience to remember. I was because I wasn't like, no way. I would never do that. And that's what makes me a sellout by my own standard. <laughs> because I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, no, you can't just you can't make a fundraising campaign for an art show. I'm like, that's not what art, you know? I think I probably pushed back like that. And then when you said the types of things you're saying now, like it's just a delivery system and it's like, it just organizes it and it's like a platform so that you can use it and you can use it for whatever you want. Because that's the other thing I remember thinking. I'm like, no, nah, but look at the stuff people sell in there. Like no one does anything like this. And then that's what started to seem kind of cool about it. The right. idea of using this thing in a way that no, that's the thing, no matter how long it had been around, it wasn't being used the way we used it. And I'm not saying that anyone is using it that way now, but we even had trouble getting our campaign approved. Remember? It got rejected right. twice because the things we were trying to do with it were not, they were against the rules of Kickstarter. We wanted to get a space. So we wanted to raise money to get an art studio. And, right. and they were and that was not like allowed, real estate. You weren't allowed yeah, to because fundraise they didn't for real estate. Yeah, because they like a conglomerate. Right. Like a real estate investment, investment company fund, for, right. Yeah, which it would become. But so what we did was we had an event Right. We had a big party in our friend's loft uh, and art. But show. That was really the culmination. It was like we're having this party and show. And the money from the sales will be for the studio. But because it's Kickstarter, we had to hit the mark for the party to happen. And right. that was Kickstarter still where you don't get it if it doesn't hit your goal. Well, so the so the part that made it 
to me was like a sure thing was that we were basically using the Kickstarter to sell $25 tickets to a networking event art show. Like, cause I was in, yeah. I was ne still networking hardcore that at that time. So I knew tons of people who would gladly pay $25 to go to a networking event cause they do it all the time. And this was a cool party, like, a, you know, I mean, a lot of people were from the business worlds that came to this party. So that was the lowest thing. So if you wanted to join at all, you just came to the party. And then we also sold the paintings and, and maybe yeah, you're some, so, yeah. The, the part that was awesome. Yes. Was that, uh, that was, I, I forgot, it was kind of like a networking loophole, too, because people would pay money to go to events. But the idea that I can pay to go to this event, let's say, but that also that that money was going towards the people I knew that were hosting it for an idea or a cause that I was thought was nice or interested in or supportive of. It's like a you're, you're not just spending, it's like now your price of admission is like you've been supportive, which, of course, all prices of admission are that, but they don't feel that way. You feel like the person's right. like You're pocketing the, yeah, you feel like the, the host is like getting your $25 instead of like, oh, this 25 is to make, make this all possible so I can be here. Well, so let's also be real. I remember <laughs> ex explicitly that we ended up raising about like a little over $8,000, which Kickstarter takes part of. Mm -hmm. And then we put this party on, which the space was was lovingly donated by our friends so we didn't have to pay for that right. but we paid for all sorts of things to make it really cool and we had food Booze and we had and drinks yeah. and and we did a video for it and all of this i mean we broke even it's not like we actually made any money and that was totally exactly. fine because it was just a way to pay for all of these things to happen that we wanted to do we wanted to do this we wanted to have a, a cool art show party we wanted to we wanted to sell art and get the art in the hands of people who liked it and stuff so it was okay the point of it really wasn't to make money is my point and we we like hit the goal and then and then we did get the studio after but the money had nothing to do with no, it the studio is how i yeah. remember i had never had a studio i mean i had always painted in the basement if i had one or just in my bedroom and when we had our first small apartment we would just paint in the the whole living the room railroad the apartment yeah it was yeah. a hallway apartment and we were just in the middle of the, the room the living room painting it sounds more romantic than it is because if my style of painting and it's paint like everywhere yeah it was like splatters everywhere and uh and not just saying my paintings aren't nice just like it's it's not um it's not like i had like a, a nice easel in the middle of the room with my little palette out that i was like dabbing on it was all very gross no we had <laughs> we had canvas from ce from the ceiling down the wall all the way on yeah. the floor duct taped around the floor to yeah, try to protect yeah. it and then just nail just holes <laughs> all over yeah, the wall nails and everywhere ink and paint everywhere well, that's where the apartment that's just what we lived in, in. Yep, the apartment was so narrow that I couldn't paint in the middle of it with the couch where we could still get by it. So I would paint on the wall. That's why I started painting on the wall. I mean, that's a thing that, that painters do. Or maybe not on the wall. They, they have like the unstretched canvas like on their easel, but like on a board or something. But that's when I first started painting on the wall. And I've, I've been doing that ever since. I always do it now, even though now I have all the space. It's better because you have so many more paintings that don't, that aren't taking up the whole space. Yeah, that was our storage up. solution. A bunch yeah. of roll, Makes roll, a big roll sense. of paintings. Well, plus you, oh, there was a whole other thing because it freed you up. Because there's something about, you know, if you've taken the time to stretch and gesso a canvas or if yes. you buy a canvas and, you know, these nice canvases can be 100, 200 bucks. Well, now 
you, you know, just needs to be a good painting. Totally. That's process <laughs> stuff. And I think that's, that's another part of your natural thinking that you brought to, that I've, you know, adopted into my art business, which is what we call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It like, like having processes, like, like the idea that I use only uh, a limited, uh, number of sizes for stretcher bars now so that I can make many different dimension paintings, but there's like a range of bars oh, yeah. that I can buy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like well, my, I brought the standardization you into your art. Yeah. You've badassed my art business. I got, had to. We'd have these yeah. random stretcher bars at these yeah. weird ass sizes Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> like, that are not again, being used. And I wasn't thinking about it that way. I wasn't thinking about it. Like I definitely wasn't thinking about a business, but I also wasn't and this is funny. I don't like calling this business because it's really just has more to do with like efficiency, which I know is helpful in business, but it's also just like in your life, like when you're running errands, right? Like how do you run the errands? We know that if you and me run the same errand list, it's going to take me a lot longer and I'm probably going to forget an item or two, right? And like you're going to do the list faster than me and then like fit in like an extra errand or two as well, <laughs> right? And, I got and it from my mama. Yeah, but I think because you feel that it's natural and it is natural, but those are a lot of the things that you've turned into the stuff that you coach and teach and that our courses talk about and stuff. But something that I've learned from that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is that the efficiency and the streamlining and the structure in your art has only has created space for the creativity. It's it's totally. like a lot of things that didn't need to be all over the place and yeah. were kind of sucking energy, time, resources, money away from, because you really don't care if it's 33 by 40 or 34 by 40. No, you would have thought from that point that I needed it to be these weird sizes because why would someone make them all these untraditional sizes? I just, it was just an oversight. And then maybe if I looked at it and said, no, I really like them this way, then okay, you keep doing it that way. But I, there were so many moments like that where I looked at something and was like, yeah, why am I just getting all that? I just had never thought about these things. And, and that's why I don't like to call it business thinking because it's really just like, it's really just uh uh, I won't. Even, it's not paying attention either because it's not like you're supposed to know already. No, um, it's just it's, outside of the. You have no reason to be thinking about it like that. They never taught you is. that in art if school, it's not right? Art, that's what it is. If it wasn't art, I wasn't paying attention to it, and I wasn't thinking about it, and I definitely wasn't uh, learning about it or like trying to do the parts of art that I wasn't interested in. Yeah. In fact, part of being an artist, or at least for me, becoming one, I think, had something to do with like being able to do what you wanted to do creatively. You know. Mm -hmm. Like and and creatively, that's what I now know is that I always can do what I want creatively in my art. I don't need the stretcher bars to all be random different sizes that don't go together, so that I have a pile of them in my studio that I can't and, use and still have to go to the art store like every day <laughs> to, to get, get them the, every time. Yeah, I need that's stretch a, one. it's yeah. that's what I mean by it's like sucking time out of you know. Totally. If you just have all of that ahead of time, then you can spend that time painting and being creative and that's what we really want for you we want to create the space for you to play totally uh, that's uh that is how it felt too like uh by doing all these things or these types of things we're talking about i have more time to paint and mm. not just more time it makes your stuff more viable more purchasable so like for example one tangential like one little part I didn't know when we did the streamlining of the stretcher bars was 
like I do know that there's several traditional what's called traditional sizes in all canvas paper sketchbooks if you buy sketchbooks at the store there's 12 by 16 then 18 by 24 24 by 36 you know it goes like there's these sizes and there's lots of them but they're not all the numbers and all the sizes and then because those are for whatever reason the traditional ones that means that it's cheaper to get them framed that means that there's already pre-existing frames you can put them in and things like that start to happen shipping so like when i'm bo buying bo giant boxes and trying to ship these with those special art shipper boxes that we get mm -hmm. the the traditional sized canvases are easier to buy boxes for that don't have lots of extra excess so that now because of that excess of the box you're paying extra on shipping, which you're already paying insane amounts of shipping on. And so even if the customer is taking that cost, that's, that's several hundred extra dollars maybe even sometimes because, because of that choice or non-choice. Mm -hmm. So I mean, the longer I've done these things, like there's, there's just all kinds of little ways that it trickles down, I guess you could say. And that's what motivated me to do it more is that if at the beginning, if there was any sort of resistance, I mean, I've had feelings of resistance, but I don't remember actually like resisting much more than like a few comments or whatever, because I genuinely was not opposed to trying the mm -hmm. types of stuff you were, like I said, if I'd ever had a real reason to not do it, like I intentionally was trying to do something else, I would have said so. But I over and over again, I wasn't. And I'd found that you were just, finding all these things I had never paid attention to. But don't you remember? Because I remember resistance. <laughs> I remember I, said resist I, resist I just don't think it lasted very long. No, no, no. I'm not saying it lasted long, but I, I know what that, or I can guess where that resistance. I pushed back. That's what I would call it. I, I pushed well, you back. You always push sure. back at first because, <laughs> yeah. because I think, you tell me if you think differently, I think that these kinds of things sounded icky. You know, these are not the kinds of things that they teach you in art school. They're not, they're more attached to business and sales. As artists, you're not taught to think about business and sales and quite the opposite. You're taught to think that business and sales are somehow taking away from the art. And so it's a natural, it's a gut reaction to resist things that sound like, well, you know, what's slippery slope you know what's next you're gonna tell me what to paint after i mean I, that that was the vibe i, I got even if it was just an emotional yeah. trigger that you didn't really notice but that's what i felt i had to be careful <laughs> in my pitches yeah yeah that i i was yeah i forgot about that and i'll go a step further on what you were saying about these icky the icky part which is very true again i didn't know at the time but looking back it was yeah icky things like thinking about your sales thinking about yourself as a business like a lot of that and i'll go further on that and say we were taught not to think about it like a business we were taught don't ever think about your you making art like a business because and it, so it wasn't just don't do it it was like because then you will the thing that i said they will infect your create it'll infect your decision making and maybe you'll start painting different subjects because of that and it'll It'll sort of take you off the path of pure self-discovery because not because these interests necessarily are bad. Most artists and men mentors I had did think they were, but it was more that they thought it was more of a distraction. So it wasn't so much that like, oh, you're going down like a, like a morally bankrupt road, 
or you're going down the wrong road. They're saying like the goal of the artist ought to be to find things deep inside of themselves that are unique and personal and express them, even if those are just the interest of the subject they paint. And as, and every extra factor that you start paying attention to is going to influence your decision making and the way that you do things and maybe the paints that you buy or how you use. I mean, it can it can do that. Yeah, they're, they're purists to the extreme and they're yes. holding up being a purist as the ideal form of, of what being an artist is. Yeah. Yes. And that's why you're right. That conversation in the car or sellout where we like thought of that name to na- And that's what we named this party from this Kickstarter thing to finish the Kickstarter part. Right. right. So that's the part we didn't get to is that you, you were saying, what if we just did one of these? And I said, no, we can't just do one. You have to do it for these things like this. He said, no, we can do whatever we want. We'll be creative with it. And I, and, that was also the beginning of like us being entrepreneurial together. The idea, like watching you use these things that existed to our benefit in a way that didn't feel like a compromise at all to me, that was awesome. Well, I'm so attracted to that. It was like its own art project. I mean, I think the funny thing about Sellout, first of all, we, I do remember that the whole concept we were thought was so brilliant. <laughs> I still think it's brilliant. But when we were explaining it to people, they like totally didn't get it. And we were like, don't you see how brilliant this is? Because it's called sellout. But to me, it was like part of the fundamental idea of this hashtag sellout is that, you know, by calling it hashtag sellout and by the purpose being the selling of the art, you're almost taking the power away from the it becomes purist right? It becomes purist because it is exactly the thing that it's saying that it is. So you are, so as much as Steve is always, again, this is my interpretation, as much as Steve is always, you are always, um, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, like I'm a sellout, like these people are sellouts, you should be a sellout. And you're kind of pushing on this nerve of that these purist teachers that so many artists learn from have. It is the purest form because if you are selling and your brand is sellout and everything you're doing is about selling, then you are the, like, you could not be more <laughs> purist than somebody else, anybody who is selling their stuff, because for you, the selling is the purpose. So the whole thing became the art project. It was like the paintings were just a, a piece of the art project. The, the art project is actually the brand sellout and playing with the idea well, of whether of or not. Good quotes. It's not an art show. It's art. Yes. Yeah. I love that. It's not an art show. It's art. And I've People never heard you say... People don't get how brilliant this is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do. Because I was asked on Bloomberg and people interviewed us about it. We got lots oh, of yeah. press. And, and that we worked with our friend who's in PR doesn't uh, take away from that. Everyone who hasn't done PR doesn't know that press is... is a lot of it is from PR. It's not because, you know, you got called up by these magazines or by these these TV stations or whatever. You know, people don't know that. Right. No, I think I think like like Pim Fox. It's like there is an interest. It's like what's going on there. Artists who aren't who are calling themselves sellouts, which is not what any artist is. You would imagine would be okay with. And then I, I haven't heard you say it that way, where it's purist, because I see it too. Maybe I would I would say instead of purist, because purists. It's a little different than authentic. A purist is following a track, right? A mm. purist is saying, this is how this is done. A purist says, 
the purest way to do something is this way, and then that's the way to do it, and then other purists also do it that way to be pure, to not bring in any any other outside alternative different things into the mix. But authentic is whatever you are, right? Authentic is like being yourself, mm-hmm. right? And if every if people are being authentic, you would never really end up being exactly like some other artist or doing it the way that they did it. Even using your brushes or painting the way that they did it, you would start to you start to more and more do it the way you felt like doing it as you got more and more comfortable expressing your own authenticity. So I, I, I would call it sellout is probably the most authentic type of art show okay. because it's not it's not hiding anything. And I think the other art shows, uh, hiding might be a strong word, but they definitely aren't like, you should buy some of this stuff, like the support artists. Like it's all like as if everybody just happened to be drinking wine and eating cheese, like in this really nice room. And then there is art on the walls right. and stuff. It's and almost no, like nobody needs yeah. wants or needs you to buy it. No, no, no. Yeah, like if you definitely if you don't buy talk it, about okay. buying it. Yeah. yeah. Like if someone would like to buy I'm something, fine. we can talk about that, but it's all very pretentious and it's all very, and I know there's a wide range. So I'm talking about a very general popular yeah. type of gallery that, that Wait, everyone has been to and that, that very few people have fun at also. That was another thing we were into, like <laughs> making it a party. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that – I agree and that sounds like a better representation of it. It's it's the most authentic. I guess what I like about using the word purist is because I You're think like of – it back on Yeah, it. I'm kind of yeah. like taking it uh, back because yeah. purists kind of hold that up – regard that as the purest the the most holy valuable way that an artist can approach their art yeah. but you can't say what the purest art is the purest the the artist gets to decide what their art is and yep. and it, and nice. this is just kind of like the loophole you know it's like it's like finding the loophole yeah but if the art is the selling of it well then like it is a purist form and i think it's kind of poking fun at that idea it is and you're right we talked about purist a lot back then and i didn't think it i love this part of it that i wasn't aware of back then was that like the purist has to follow tons of rules the purist is not on a pure self-discovery adventure. So mm. that's probably, that's the way I would say what you're saying is like in their effort to be pure, they're, they're asking someone else how to do that. And that person's telling them how to do that. And then that's what they're doing. And then they're, they're saying, and that's how I know I'm, a, I'm doing this the right way. And if art is, and, and we know that everyone has their own definition, but if it is some version of self-expression, right? Well, I know that you can express a mood. So it's not like expressing your whole self, but it's like it can be. And I definitely think it's self-discovery. So whatever you choose to show as your art, it can't come from somewhere unless you dug inside yourself somewhere and pulled something Mm. out of you. It doesn't have to be a deep dive, but like where do you think this stuff that you're regurgitating back out or painting, it came from somewhere, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, but it came from in you because you collected it, you remembered it, or you saw it, or you chose it, or you you picked to paint it, or whatever. So that's what makes it you, because you could pick anything. Well, as I've watched you evolve in your art, it's become just as much about the writing as it is about the painting. Mm -hmm. Is that because of uh, what you're saying about the self-discovery? And if that's the case, then how is it that every artist isn't moving into writing? (laughs) 
Right. Well, not uh, moving away from painting and writing, just to clarify, but you're right, adding writing to my mm-hmm. paint, to my painting. And why don't they all? Yeah. Good question. Well, there's the, the why doesn't everyone do it? I, I don't know that. But for me, I did it because when someone's looking at something, like impressionist painting is it's how someone saw something and they paint it the way they saw it, not how it is. And then other people look at that vision so that you're looking at somebody else's uh, perception of something, of a scene. I wanted to give more than that in my art. That's where the writing started showing up in it. And it was kind of facilitated by the fact that I was painting New York and that people had written all over the scenes that I was painting with graffiti mm. and, and not just graffiti, like the, the bubbles and the color, but like just writing people writing their name, you know, just writing stuff all over the walls everywhere. I mean, you know how it is in New York, uh, everywhere you look, there's, there's writing everywhere on everything, whether it's an ad or, a, or a illegal art. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what happened is that it was like, I liked watching what those guys were doing. Like they're saying what they want to say to the world, like in public and then I realized I had not stuff I wanted to say because I'm trying to paint New York. So adding words on top of my lands, my cityscapes would be authentically New York. And that by and then starting to change some of that writing from the tags I was seeing into my own words and my own writing just made it more personal. And that was the evolution of it. Well, and then yeah. you just started writing. I mean, you're writing a book now. Yeah. And just writing too. Yeah. Writing a, a sellout book. Right. How to make it as an artist. <laughs> I think a lot of it is centered around, oddly, when I'm I'm listening to you as you write this book and, you know, sharing what comes up, there there's so many parallels and similarities with the kinds of things that I'm talking about in business and who I'm, and, and coaching, when I'm coaching people, because a lot of the issues might have, they have a, a different skin, but at their core, they're the same things. It's about these artists, yes. like these these business owners who don't necessarily value what they what they bring to the table, or they have issues around money, especially. So, right, because I mean, part of this is sellout business. It's you know, you ha- you have to be able to exchange value for money, and all the issues and pain and baggage that that brings up is affects artists a lot more even than it but i think probably very similar actually in a way that it does to entrepreneurs absolutely in fact thinking of business owners as artists is fun because i would never think of that oh people that own businesses whatever that business is doesn't even matter if it's a creative business oh they they understand business and they like business and they do business and they don't do all the, the things I do, like avoid all the process steps and they don't avoid the money and learning about sales because it's a business. But what I've learned from us helping other business owners for so long now is that no matter what their service is, a business owner's business is so personal to them, <laughs> right? What we yeah. were just talking about, like how personal art is. People's business is so personal and kind of like people's houses are. Like if you own a house, you might not know anything about houses or you didn't build a house, but like 
you love your house and you don't want anyone to say anything about your house and you don't want to, you know, and with your business too, that's what I find with the people that we help. It's like, they might be like, yeah, but I, I've always done it this way. When you point out mm -hmm. where there's like some, some waste or an opportunity to do something more efficiently, like the same ways that you showed me and pointed out to me. And I had the same, they have the same sort of initial pushback and resistance that I did of like, yeah, but like, but that's not how I do it. And like, this is, this industry does this this way, or it's always been done this way, or you don't, you know, like all these, I call them excuses now, but at the time, if I, now that we're talking about the past, I can remember how it felt at the time, which was like, I know my thing. I know my service. I know my skill. Let me do that. And it, I didn't realize that that didn't mean buying whatever size stretcher bar. That's not my skill, right? So it's almost like, the business owners do the same thing. Confusing I, I, the two. Yes, yeah. that they see everything in their business as quote unquote what they their thing that they're great at that they like. Mm -hmm. When actually it's it's not a narrow part of their business, but it's a it's just a portion of it. Mm -hmm. Like with my art business now or my art career, making art is a let's call it most of what I do. Let's call it half of it, and then the other half is all these other little things that are range anywhere from logistic and boring or administrative all the way to kind of like creative and markety and and writing or or whatever or or going to art shows to quote unquote network mm -hmm. when that was a thing so yeah and that's what i see in these business owners too and and the closer they their services to creative right so if they're a brander or a copywriter then they really have more of that that me quality of the, of the like no, 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 I don't, I don't, not that stuff. I don't want to look at that stuff. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I just want to do my writing. And that's, this is where the funny kind of bridge is between art, sellout and business. <laughs> sellout is the bridge because it's like, I became an artist to not have to do stuff I didn't want to do kind of not exclusively, but like I wanted to just express myself and be creative and paint and draw, which I loved and look at things I like and, and play with things I like in a business, you know, needs other parts or to keep being able to make art and do all those things I wanted to do. I had to do some other things to facilitate it as a, as a life. And that's the same thing the business owners are going through. Oh, I really like doing this service, but I really hate doing sales calls and I really don't like doing my books. And like, and if you don't like those things, you're not going to get to do as much of the part of your business, the service or the art right. as you want to. It's the same thing. Yeah. It is. And you know what? While you were talking, you also made me realize that there's actually a really similar parallel with, let's just say, the standardization of the stretcher bars. We're using that as an example. I mean, there's obviously a lot of things like that, but the standardizations of the stretcher bars simply create creates a lot of time and space to do the things that actually matter to you. You have no reason to have every painting be a different size. And by doing that, you save so much time and headache and stress when you don't have the right ones or, you know, ordering things, whatever it is. And it's very similar to this standardization of process and package services that we do in our branding business and that I teach people to do, which is these are all the parts that you don't need to have a different size stretcher bar for. <laughs> you know, it's like create this simple framework, these simple standardized and systematized 
packages, not because every client gets the same thing, not because every painting is the same, not at all. Because within that framework, that's where you can spend the, the most time possible doing your brilliance, you know, sharing your brilliance. So whether that's being creative and having a lot more time and space without the stress to paint, or it's, you know, coaching somebody on their life or their business where you have the time and space needed and available to do that at the highest level because you're not also thinking about some stupid administrative thing that doesn't need to be thought about. You know what I mean? So oh. I, I, it's like exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. No, this is cool. I never really looked at it this, yeah. this way. And it's so weird because right before when you were saying that like these things free up more time by, mm -hmm. by working on them. Now it sounds so obvious to me. It sounds like how could anyone not realize that? But if I go back, that was what I was thinking was like, how am I, I'm never going to get to paint. I'm going to have to do that stuff. And I think I hear that same sentiment often from some of the business people that we help of like, well, yeah, but like I, and they don't say it like me where it's like, I want to be doing this service all the time. They're saying, I have all these clients that I have to service. You know, I have my list of clients. They have all their needs. I'm already maxed out on that. Where am I supposed to get the extra couple days or whatever it takes a week to be doing all these other things that are already happening and quote unquote working, but that you're telling me could be working better and then would free up time. It's really like a, a little bit of a leap of faith and a, and a time commitment. So at first you do have to kind of say, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this stuff instead of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But then like, like what you're saying and what I've lived now, it, it come, that's how you create the space. You create the space create, forever. Yes. I don't create more time to paint by painting more. There's the easy way to hear it. The more I paint, that doesn't give me more time to paint because if I don't sell any of them and if I never buy stretcher bars or whatever, I can't afford to live and keep painting. And that's the, where the sellout part comes in is that if an artist never learns even like some basic entrepreneurial sort of skills, they don't have to become a salesperson, but if they don't learn some of these little, really simple, just ways of looking at your business, so you don't even have to have it figured out or even have skills. You just have to be kind of willing to say, there obviously is some ways that I could improve my, my processes, that I could save some money or that I could maximize something and that, and that through that I'll be successful. Because as an artist, I always had plenty of time to paint, but I never had any money. And so there was almost kind of like a there was like a, a clock on my art life is the way I felt about it. And it was like I imagined that one day in my life art would just be reduced to like sort of a, a little hobby once in a while that I do for like meditatively rather than what it's becoming more all the time, which is a bigger and bigger part of like my daily life. And because of these things that you pay attention to these these things that get called business things but i keep wanting to call it something else because that's what deterred me from it mm. now as an artist that makes sense but even a business person like i said let's say they're an expert copywriter and they have a copywriting business right saying oh you need to learn more about business that might not be very attractive mm -hmm. to that person because they're passionate about their service and they yes they want their business to do well but only as well so that it can support the life of doing what they love and affording to live how they want to live. which And that's how we artists, approach it. Totally, which most artists never even are audacious enough to imagine that like, 
what life do I want to live? Mm -hmm. No, will I be able to to live at all doing this? I think is what most artists realistically imagine. If you think you're going to do it for a life, mm -hmm. for your whole life, as more than a hobby. And that's and that sucks in this world if you're yeah. taught. And that's what sell out the yeah. ideas. That like we want, I want more artists. I almost couldn't be one. And and the stuff that I learned from you and doing it with you has made me able to be. And you watch it. Other artists that I know that have been around me for a while look and say, wow. How? And they know. They don't ask. Mm -hmm. They go, wow. From being around Pia and Pia, you look at what you do now and they want it too. You know, they want, <laughs> they want this, whatever we're calling it, business training or efficiency or just the other side of, of doing something for a living. Well, but to your credit, like you had to put your art on hold quite a few times in the last 12 years. Yep. in order to do that. You know, it was exactly. a long game. So just game. like we're talking now, it's investment, right? It was. So if, you invested yeah. a lot of time, you yeah. and I together, to build a business and a brand yep. that affords us not just this studio and you having more and more time to paint every single year, but also like letting us live way nicer than we ever thought we would. Yeah, I would <laughs> say that the level, how much we love our lifestyle like how much what you just said how above what we expected to live like that it is is from what we are talking about right now from the the choosing to look at what makes things work so if i say i want to be an artist what makes someone able to continue to be an artist week after week year after year and we looked at it that way not oh how can i make great paintings. I was doing that on my own in my own head. Like, uh, and I think the same thing with other business owners, like, what can I do to get my goal? If I want to double my income, like, let's look for where that's going to happen. Not by me just being better at what I do. That's not the way that you do it. You will get better as you keep doing it, but it's about all these, uh, all the other things that you're not really paying attention to, or that could be better or yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I can't believe it's been 12 years and it's been nine years since we started our business, which really? is insane. And wow. that whole time in different forms, we've been playing the long game. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like I, I, yeah, we many, many times put aside what we felt like doing right in the exact moment. It doesn't mean that we weren't still doing and pursuing we what liked. we wanted. Exactly. It wasn't right. like a, like a hundred percent sacrifice and it really wasn't, didn't feel like sacrifices. So it was more like, no, but we always had the goal. I had the goal, I think, even more than you did. Oh, definitely. Well, okay. So the thing that I've told you over the years that you keep forgetting, it seems like every time I tell you, you're like, really? I'm like, how many times do I have to tell you this over the 12 years that we've been together? <laughs> when you'll get this, I'm like, Steve, you're, it's, it's all the art to me. The goal is the art. Like. Oh. I'm always, I've always said, the end game. So that's your, end, that's the, the big my end game, end game for all is of this. Steve is a famous <laughs> artist and here, and I'll tell you why this is my, this is my like crafty. This is how I think late at night guys. The, <laughs> to me, art. Okay. There's a couple of beautiful things about art. It's one of the only things that has kind of no ceiling on it, on the price that somebody can pay for a piece of art and yet the cost that goes into it is fixed and all of the value is perceived. 
I mean, okay, there's a little bit of value in like, I like this or I don't like this, but that that goes away pretty quickly, right? Like at like $1,000, like $5,000 that is gone, depending on how wealthy somebody is. And the rest of it is all this perceived value, which I would equate with branding. It's branding is perceived value that you create how it, or it is created. So to me, um, and this doesn't take anything away from art, by the way. In fact, it's quite, it's kind of the beautiful thing about branding. To me, all these concepts and ideas that we have been learning and building on and, and, and trying out in the world in branding and marketing, it's been really effective in business, but like the art is the ultimate test to me. You know, like how good are we? And I'm really just talking about myself now. I'm like, how good am I at this branding and marketing thing? Can we, can I get Steve's art to be that famous? Because, you know, me, I'm always talking about efficiency and profitability. I'm like, there is nothing more profitable than being able to sell a painting for, you know, $20,000, $50,000, $100,000. There's nothing more profitable than that. So that would just be the ultimate expression of how how much we have ascended this. And so it's, you know, it's a selfish thing, but I also, I believe in you and I believe in your art and I think you're so talented. And I, and I think if anyone should be able to get there with their art, it should be you, especially with all of these things that we're learning. So it's always been about the art for me. All of the things we've been doing for the last nine years is all to create the space and the strategies and the skills in order to to see if we can do it with the art. Um, you know, when you say it like that, I guess I, I believe it more right now than I ever have. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. You remember me saying this. Well, you say it a lot. You say it all the time. I know, but every time I say it, you're like, oh, but I don't think you're You know what? <laughs> Actually, uh, what's coming to mind is, or when I remember those, I can think of a, a handful of moments. That's how often it happens where you said it and I was like, really? And... <laughs> it's the same feeling I was just describing of me. It's a, a short sightedness of mine or, or maybe I don't need to use like a negative. It's like a, uh, I don't look into the future. I don't look forward. I'm very, if to make it a positive thing too, present. Yes. I'm where I am and I'm not, that's why I'm not good at planning and organizing and, and all these things that are required to be successful. You are the yin to my yang. <laughs> yeah, to be <laughs> successful at whatever you're trying to do, you have to you know be able to stick to something, you have to know what you need to do and, and all of that. So painting and drawing, which is my art, is very uh, uh, instantaneous, spontaneous and expressive. That's not to say that all people's drawing and painting is, but that's what I, it is for me. That's what I'm doing. It's all, mm -hmm. you even know that I'm, I'm messing up on purpose, so I'm, I'm, I let my brushes get ruined. So I'm actually inviting in uh, unpredictability. I'm inviting in mistakes. I like when my paintings get dirty or the corners get messed up, much to your chagrin, <laughs> uh, because then they're rougher and it's more natural. And I just like anything that might end up happening to the painting. I feel like that's just all part of it. So this feels this this feels similar, where when for you to say one day this is all leading towards blank. It doesn't matter what you would call it. It's not that I'm being like, no, not my art. It's just whatever you would say. This is all going to be to whatever I just say. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of the feeling. But I can see now, I can see now more than the other times that I'm thinking of when you said that and I didn't quite believe you. I guess the reason it's more believable now is because of the conversation we're having and because, you know, because we're further along than we were at those times 
where I actually can see how my putting aside the art to invest in other parts of it as a business, I can see how uh, learning the things that I've learned with you and from you, how all those are leading towards this. And then even that final thing you say of like the, the fun, the challenge of as a, as a entrepreneur to sell something, you know, to maximize the profit on a product uh, and, and not to trick anyone, to place it with the person that wants it, which is how you see sales. Like right. it's more of matchmaking, right? So, and it's also not even selfish, like you said, because I would love it too. So it's more of a joint goal of ours. You'd be enjoying the part of the business part of it and like what, how much can we charge for this stuff uh, and how can I increase that value because that's what's fun for you is all, that's what I'm realizing. All these other little things that we're doing, I can see how they increase the perceived value, but also because I'm continuing to do the craft, I'm getting better at it every year as well. So yeah, so it's like the price keeps going up with my skill level. I keep getting more and more time to work on it as we find more and more places to be efficient and to process, turn things into processes instead of me doing it all. And, uh, and I can now see how you, you would like, like how art is the, the we've, we've talked about this before, how art mm-hmm. is sort of the ultimate challenge. Yeah, it's the ultimate for, challenge. Uh, as a product, uh, as yeah, something to sell. because it's also the hardest one because it yes. has no intrinsic value. Right, That's you didn't kind mention of why that because it has challenge. no, totally. Right, I missed that part. It has no ceiling because no one needs it. <laughs> no, and, and here's a funny, weird part about perceived value. And this applies to businesses, brands as well. It's like a self-referencing thing where, okay, as the perceived value goes up, it with a painting, since the value is only however much a person perceives the value, it actually does become more valuable, like in reality. So the more perceived value you get on your art, it is now more valuable. It's not just oh, yeah. perceived. Well, I think the word perception often sounds like, oh, it just looks like it's valuable. Like there's a, like as if. Perceived value is the only value in art. Because no, but what I'm saying with the art it. is that it is at first. So, right. So everyone's <laughs> right? looking at your painting and it's only worth whatever they think it's worth or they'll, if they'll buy it or not. Right. But as the perceived value goes up and up by people buying and buying, well, now we used to have to convince the person there in front of us. But as the perceived value goes grows, it becomes actually more valuable where when someone walks up to it for the first time, they see the value immediately because of the sales and the price and the placement, like where I'm showing and things like that. Things that are indicators of value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the same thing goes in branding that we do for the businesses. The same process happens. It's really funny to notice that, that like as you get better at what you're doing and as you invest in all the other parts that's, that aren't your thing that you do, you get more time to do what you're doing and you get better at it and, and you raise the price and, and because you're better at it and it keeps going and going like that. So art is the, it's the ultimate challenge and the ultimate upside. And I think that's what I was saying makes me believe you now more than ever is that I can see how you would genuinely be this really fun business, more fun than our branding business <laughs> because it would still oh, be. Yeah. Yeah, it would still be branding. Well, you know but, I like a challenge. Exactly. But also one with like uh, with the biggest ups. It's the biggest risk reward too. Exactly. Like, there's no reason anyone should buy a painting or needs to or necessarily would. 
But then like, that's why when you sell one, it's like every time we sell one, it's amazing, right? Like I still, yeah. every time someone buys one, I'm like, I, I can't believe it almost. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you've done a lot of things to make that possible and for that to happen. And, you know, there is an element of unknown magic in the art world that I think most people think, oh, you're picked up off the street. You're, you're brilliant. You're, but we, we both know. Well, it's predetermined. Yeah. It's like fate or you're like, you're a yeah, great artist. Or, so or you're going to get found. Or, yeah. But, yeah. but you and I both know all these stories of, you know, what's the real story behind those um, fairy tales. And there is always either some artist is prolific like they just painted so much that you know you couldn't argue with the fact that they had they had painted a body of work that that almost nobody can who who's the artist that has painted like hundreds of or well, i think van gogh's one of the van gogh's prolific, one of those. actually yeah, he painted like right. one a day for like seven years or something and it's you know most people don't do that so that alone takes it to and even a, a noticeable level so it's like, like right mine, he's got a great story over. Right. We've got lot. We have lots of pieces that, you know, a great story that, that people can relate to um, being having a couple of patrons. Who, what is that? What is that idea that Jerry Saltz threw out there that kind of oh, changed everything like for to, us? To make it as an artist. And every time I say make it, it means a living. It doesn't mean rich or famous or even uh, any of these artists we're talking about. It just means literally you can be an artist as a life and mm -hmm. afford it somewhere, maybe not mm -hmm. New York. <laughs> and so his take on that was to, to make it as an artist, you needed, I don't remember exact numbers, but it was like, like five or six. Yeah. It's like, let's you only say need. You know, five collectors. You needed like one person to like write about you or like, like a writer or a critic or something. But his point was being that you don't need to, you don't need a lot. Let's reduce it to just the collectors. If you just had a handful of collectors, people that bought your stuff on a semi-regular basis over ex years and years, like that's what a business is. I mean, any service person listening to this can feel that, which is like, if I just had, you know, five different people that at any given time in my life were paying me to do what I do, I'd always be okay as a business. You know, mm -hmm. it's the same idea. Right. And that's, what's so funny about this conversation is it's like making it even more clear to me. I feel like this is going to help me a lot actually <laughs> that like, oh, it's not, we're all it's we not like as mystical is what I'm saying. Exactly. It's not we, as right. out there, like unattainable. It's in the stars. You're either brilliant and somebody right. finds you or not. Like if you yeah. look at these famous people, they have certain things. Some people it's who they know or their, you know, uh, Jackson Pollock's like girlfriend, wife yeah. is was his patron like or, or you happen to be, you know, Basquiat was like already hanging out with. Lots Patty Smith people. and Andy yeah. Warhol, like <laughs> yeah. the Salon de Refuse, like they're all, all the famous people hanging out in the same salon at the same times. I mean, these are, there's clear patterns of things that happen. So nobody is just picked up or very few. No. No, that, no. that is the, that is definitely the outlier. And it's funny. I like this parallel where it's the same exact thing in business. It's like, you could be the right. greatest, whatever consultant, IT person. Yeah. You can be so <laughs> brilliant. Nobody's yeah, going to know. You could literally be the greatest graphic designer to have ever lived past or present. And that has nothing to do with if you'll still be doing it a year later or if you'll get to do it for projects that you like or people that you like or if people will pay you what you deserve for it or any of that. It doesn't mean your gene doesn't mean your talent uh, will be recognized. And that's actually that's more common in the art world. Like it's uh, getting 
talent recognized as valuable is is near impossible right from the beginning in fact where i am now it's so much easier because you're building on top of yourself all the time with this mm-hmm. other stuff right so like the hardest part of art is to like sort of catch on and i think even in our stories that i could move into sophie's apartment with you was a it was a key sort of like life-saving milestone to my art life right my art career not right. life as an artist but you weren't painting new york until then no that's true i was painting i don't know what i was doing or i wasn't even painting that much i wasn't painting in uh, my apartment with joe i didn't have no. any setup in there there's no, no space i wasn't even painting i was i was doing my uh, design internship um right but it's not like i was focusing on that because we met right away and i just hung out with you every day instead of going into the internship I tend to have that effect on people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was like that. You're very, even the stuff we're talking about now, it's, it's what I love about you and I, I love working together is the, uh, your enthusiasm for sort of like diving into figuring out these parts of things for other people. <laughs> you benefit from it every time you do it for someone. Think about it. When you do it for our clients, like we financially benefit from that. So that's your engine, but yeah, you but it's love also to so solve fun. other stuff for people. Yeah. yeah, you have to point out, look how you could do that or this or that, and uh, and anyone who's willing to listen and does it does gets to do more of what they want to do. I'm not going to say does better or makes more, because those things do end up happening. But those are more symptoms of no, you're getting more efficient at doing the thing you want to do. As much as I'm always all about doing the thing that you love, it's like, how much do you love it? Because I'm willing to do a lot of things I don't love to do the thing that I love and to do it in the best way uh, possible. It gave me chills because like I loved art and that's all I did. And I was always had no money and scraping by. And then one day I was going to run out and I did in New York, of course. And like without you, someone who's looking at these, uh, you had a way of looking at a life passion that didn't uh, sterilize it, but that made it viable in the real world. You know, that made it like able to exist and then become this sort of like vehicle that you could drive that could like take you to places you wanted to go and and but that it's a it's a car you want to be in. It's a ride you want to be on. It's not like a job. It's not like a a business that you just think will make money either. I mean. I don't know if anyone is in your audience or, or world that is like that because I think the people that must gravitate to you must be like me where it's like they have a thing they want to do and they would like to get paid to do it so they can do it. Like you with helping people with business. You know? it's, right. uh, oh, it's, it's, it's cr- it getting good at adding value to my work or perceived value and, and how to sell it, which is not through sales techniques. It's all through, through branding and, and marketing stuff efforts. Um, is exciting not because of the money it's exciting because it perpetuates my dream life mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. and the money just becomes this like really validating bonus <laughs> this sort <laughs> of like you know proof that you're you're doing the right well, thing well it funds it well the proof that you're doing something that is valuable because right. you, you're it's it's carrying you yeah but even in the times when i've sacrificed when i've like paused my art to invest in our business um even when i've been sort of like you've noticed where i've been like frustrated because i want to get back to art i've I've, any time that i've thought this in my head because the thought comes in it, it disappears right away which is this like gosh like when we're really overwhelmed or busy or i'm not enjoying work like oh 
I wish I could just paint all day all the time and not do any of this work stuff and not call these people or send this invoice or do any of this stuff, you know? I wish I could just la di da di da paint all day long every day and be broke and, and have nothing on purpose so I don't need to make any of it and just do that. And then it goes poof and that goes away because I've done that and it's so uncomfortable. It's not, <laughs> it's not what it feels like. And I don't just mean because I can't eat what I want or whatever. It's just I mean, not as like romantic as it sounds. Exactly. It's not comfortable like, like psychologically. It's not comfortable. It still wouldn't feel good because I'm getting so much more from it this way. Having people call me and say they want a painting. I mean, come on. What, what person that expresses themselves doesn't, doesn't want it to connect with someone else? That's actually a part mm. that I want to rag on the purists one more time for is the like, if the purist is never trying to sell a painting, if they're never trying to get this painting into the hands, forget the word sell, get it into the hands of another person to, to be in their home, if it's all just about their work and making it the way that they're imagining it, like, like to me, that's, that's a, the, the artistic process, the loop hasn't closed yet. If, if enough people haven't seen it, like I remember before the money, I was totally comfortable saying, well, but I do want a lot of eyeballs, mm -hmm. right? I was, I was comfortable that's with that. That's always been I was, your so, goal. Yeah, I would say I would love lots of people to see my art because that's what it's made. It's made to be seen by someone. It's what I saw and I would want someone else to see it. Me having, like not wanting to sell was actually preventing me from getting my art into more people's homes. I, I love that you're saying that and you're really bringing up a, a point that I feel like I talked about on a recent episode just about the idea that all of this work is actually creating more opportunities for you to have a deeper and more fulfilling experience with the thing that you're doing. Yep. So you're richer, like yeah, more variants. Yeah. yeah, like more more interesting. Like because more... you can paint in a room and right. no one sees it for your whole life, and there might be a rich experience there. I mean, kind of like a there silent is. meditation kind of experience there. But there's a lot of experiences that you're getting to have with your art and a lot of opportunities. I mean, you're showing in, you're in the middle of a pandemic, you're in multiple spaces in our neighborhood right now showing your art. And that's like really fun for you and enjoyable. And you would yeah. never have been able to do that. You would never have been asked by all these different places to show your art there if you hadn't been doing all this other work. So it's it's creating and, space and, and opportunity. Bringing that up, it's, it's worth pointing out that specifically these places I'm at now that you mentioned, the work that I and we did that got them to reach out to me was branding yes, and marketing. So yes. they became aware of me from me really niching my subject matter to my direct, our direct neighborhood, right? And so yes. because I was already painting New York City and my art is always painting wherever I live, I'm painting New York City for years and years and years, but like I'm, I'm just painting anything in the whole city. And we said, oh, let's just do the neighborhood. And then I wasn't giving anything up. You see, again, it's the same process of saying, what if? And I think that's how you sort of, as we were talking about it ad nauseum all the time, it was kind of like, well, what if you just, like, just did a neighborhood or just one borough or just did our neighborhood so that you know, you would be doing things that people would recognize, like iconic architecture and stuff like that. And it was, it, it was I, I wasn't giving anything up to do it. You know, it wasn't like, oh, now I have to paint something different. Oh, it's kind of like, well, if you asked me, I remember, is it still like painting the city for you? And I was like, of course, because it is the city. This is the city too. Like I was, right. 
I was still painting our neighborhood also, just not exclusively. And then the funny part was, and this is what creatives and even business owners get all jammed up on, is the like, the niching and the like exclusively and like only? You mean only paint this neighborhood, right? Never do the other one again? It's like, no, I can paint Manhattan as much as I want. I'm just not going to make it part of my brand story that I market on a regular basis. And that's the point I wanted to bring up of the like, right. You do all people, kinds of art that's outside yep, of what we're talking about. I didn't knock about. on doors. I didn't pay to, to, to get seen by any of these people. They just called me up and said, we would love Steve's local art to be in here. They knew of it and they, and they yeah. knew of it because oh, well, of, everyone in this neighborhood knows who you are now. Cause by now, cause it's been years of, of yeah. that we had that idea of me, uh, sticking to promoting and showing the neighborhood art instead of all of it. Well, okay. So I want to, I want to wrap this episode here because I want to talk all about that. And I, and I think, right. And I'm, with I'm the starving and the lead product and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. I think That's we should, I think we should talk about that next I'm on ne next too. week's episode. Okay. So let's break and then, um, We'll continue our conversation and you guys can listen to it next week. <laughs> cool. Cool. Let's eat. Let's eat. Love you. Love you. I hope you guys enjoyed part one of my fireside chat with Steve. You can see more of his art at stevewasterval.com. I will link to that in the show notes for this episode at piasilva.com backslash podcast. And I'm also going to share some insider photos of some of the stories that we shared from way back when, including a photo of that famous painting he gave me when we met, which is now proudly on display in our living room and i just checked and it turns out nope he still hasn't signed it go figure that's all for today join us next week as we continue the conversation and dive into steve's art business and share how he's implemented a lot of the strategies that we actually picked up in business to grow his art career see you then